Hey everyone, welcome back to the channel. I just wanted to give a quick intro and say thank you so much for 10,000 subscribers. You really have no idea how much it means to me and I'm really appreciative of all of you. I just want to thank you all for being such a great audience. I really am blessed to have such an awesome community around this channel and I'm really excited about this video. I hope you guys enjoy it. It's all of your true encounters, true experiences, and some of them are pretty crazy and wild. So I hope you enjoy it. If you do, give it a like, thumbs up, subscribe if you haven't already. You know all of that. And I will catch you guys in the next one. Hi all, my name is Akravi. I am not a native speaker of English, so please excuse any mistakes I made. This story started in a girlfriend's house when I was 15 years old. Her name is Angela, and she lived in a wealthy suburb of Athens. We both played in the same volleyball team, and she wasn't a snob, so despite the difference in our social standings, we were friends, and I enjoyed hanging out with her. This was the first time I was sleeping over at a friend's house. Unlike the U.S., sleepovers were not really a thing in Greece, but Angela and her family were American citizens, and they followed their traditions. I was sitting on Angela's couch, hiding behind her as we were watching horror movies. I think she enjoyed teasing me for how scared I was, more than she enjoyed the movies that she had seen so many times before. Two hours before midnight, and I heard the front door opening, and I jumped. I thought that we would be alone since her parents were on a trip to Scotland. Who is it? I said to my friend while squeezing my palms on her shoulders. Ugh, my sister. My parents decided that we weren't old enough and that we needed adult supervision, said Angela, and she got off the couch and went to look. She had to break away from my scared grasp to get up. A minute later, she and her big sister, Lucy, walked into the living room. Meeting her sister for the first time was not a pleasant experience. Me and Angela, although attractive young girls, were not big on makeup yet. Her 24-year-old sister, though, was covered like a demon with a white face and eyes and lips painted black. She was taller than us, obese, and dressed in a combination of black clothes that were tight or loose in all the wrong places. To say the least, she looked off-putting. I said hello as pleasantly as possible, and she didn't reply. She left us and went up to her room, which was okay with me. I wouldn't mind if I didn't see her again for the rest of my stay. Unfortunately, this wasn't the case. Angela and I cooked, watched more movies, and talked about stuff which led us to stay up late. A quarter past midnight, Lucy came down from her room, holding something big and square. She had a big smile that somehow made her less attractive and scarier than before. Hey girls, do you want to do something really spooky? She said, and I looked at Angela a bit worried. Like what? That Ouija board again? You've never been able to summon anything with that, said Angela. I have summoned things that you don't know, and they've pleased me greatly. You're just so negative that they never show up when you're around, she said, and looking at me, she continued. But I sense that they'll show up, 
for your friend. What will show up? I asked Angela. Spirits, she said trivially. Nonsense. My sister is just fooling herself. What do you think? Lucy asked me. I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about ghosts and death and all. I said, then Angela stepped in. Let's just get it over with, or else she won't leave us alone with all her nonsense. I trusted my friend, and to be honest, I was curious about the whole ghost-conjuring deal. So I followed Angela and Lucy upstairs. We went to the attic, and we climbed a second retractable ladder to an even smaller attic. Are you for real? We're gonna freeze up here. Angela said to her sister as we cramped inside a small space next to an open window that let in cold air from the dark park across the street. I did research. The tallest place in the house, contact with nature, at the right time, and magic will happen. Lucy said as she opened the wooden Ouija board before us. Have you had this thing in your family for a long time? I said seeing that the board looked used and dated. It belonged to a wonderful occultist, Lucy said with a self-indulging grin, but from Angela's grimace, I could tell that she thought it was all BS. The night's cold was beginning to drill in mine and my friend's bones, while her sister didn't seem to be affected at all. We told her to get started so we could go back down, and Angela asked me to put my finger on the planchette as she did. There is no need for that. It will move by itself. We are just going to join hands in a circle, Lucy said. I reluctantly took her fat, sweaty hand, but was comforted by holding Angela's and looking at her being completely calm with her eyes closed. In the dim light that came from the open window... I realized I was the only person looking at the board. Angela was basically meditating, and Lucy had thrown her head back and was whispering. It wasn't in Greek or English, but it was a long sentence repeating over and over again. I looked at the board, and I thought that the metal piece had moved, but then I realized I hadn't remembered the location that it was when I first saw it. Then Lucy's voice became loud and guttural, still repeating the same sentence. A cold sweat came over my body. Angela tensed up and squeezed my hand. I wanted to say something to her, but I was afraid. When I looked at Lucy, my heart began to race. It appeared that the thickness of her neck had doubled, and her eyes had no pupils. I thought I was mistaken that she had them closed, but they were open for sure. Then a loud crashing sound bled my ears. It was like a piano was dropped from the top of a building and crushed into a million pieces as I was standing next to where it landed. Then, something cold hit me on the neck and stung me. I reached to check, and I found. It was the planchette from the Ouija board pushing with its edge against my carotid artery. I pulled it and threw it away and let out a terrifying yell. My scream was enough to wake up my friend from her trance, 
Upon seeing how scared I was, she helped me down the small attic. She asked me what happened, and when I told her, she was looking at me with disbelief. Didn't you hear the crash? My ears are still ringing, I said, and she swore that she hadn't heard anything. This scared me even more. Angela took me down to the living room and made me a hot chocolate while I sat in front of the TV. I was seriously freaked out and thinking about leaving, but since it was late, I decided to go immediately to sleep and call a taxi first thing in the morning. They had prepared their guest room for me. After a hot shower, I had calmed down enough, and I started feeling stupid, thinking that I probably scared myself to death although I could see a red mark where I found the planchette. I met my friend in the living room. She asked me if I wanted to sleep with her in her parents' bed in case I got frightened. Angela was so sweet, and I could tell that she felt bad for the whole incident. So I pulled a brave face and I told her that I was okay and that I just worked myself into a fit. Has your sister gone to bed? I asked her. I don't know. I haven't seen her since we came down, she said, suddenly looking worried. Then she got up from the couch and ran upstairs calling her sister's name, with me following on her heels. We reached the attic below the smaller attic where the Ouija board session happened. The retractable ladder was still down, leading to the black square opening. We looked at each other and Angela called Lucy again. We heard noises. And slowly, Lucy's face appeared in the opening, looking at us with a blank stare. We had to call her several times before she came down. I moved close to help her, then a god-awful stench pushed me back. I remembered the smell of a rotten dead cat we once found on the roof of my parents' house. That smell was inhumanly bad. Angela's sister reeked of pure death. I could tell that this time Angela had the same experience as me. We covered our noses, but it wasn't enough. Gagging from the awful smell, we led the dazed and confused Lucy down the stairs, asking each other why every item of her clothes was dripping wet as if she went swimming. By the time we got to her room, she had found enough of her composure and her spirit, and the filthy odor had diminished. I'm okay, girls. No need to worry about me. I hope I didn't scare you. I would sure love to do this again, she said, and laid back with a smile of ecstasy. Angela looked at me, and her eyes spoke that she was terrified. I pulled the covers over her sister's body, and we left the room. As I closed the door, I thought about locking Lucy in. Instead, I took my friend by the hand, we went to the guest room where I had my stuff, and we carried them into her room. We locked ourselves in there, agreeing that this was the safest place to spend the night. We barely got any sleep until close to daylight. The next morning, Lucy seemed like her usual self, based on Angela's experience, that is. I was to spend two more nights at their home, but I decided that I would head back to my parents. Angela understood. After reaching home, I felt guilty for leaving her alone, and we spent the night on the phone and we met the following day. We are still friends, 
We have gone on vacations together, but I will never agree to be anywhere near her sister, although Angela insists that she is now normal. I was in kindergarten at the time. On the 100th day of school, I was unfortunately absent with the flu. There were a number of different activities that I missed out on that day. Everyone practiced bouncing a ball 100 times, jumping rope 100 times, drawing 100 of whatever they wanted to, etc. You get the idea. One of the assignments was to draw a picture of yourself as a 100-year-old. When I returned to school, I found a drawing in my mail cubby. My teacher told me that one of my friends had drawn it for me. I will always remember what it looked like. It was just a regular white piece of paper with some squiggly green lines drawn at the bottom half, which I think was supposed to be tall blades of grass. In the bottom right corner, there was a crude kindergarten-style drawing of an old man with a black cloak, a stovepipe hat, a long gray beard, and a cane. By no means was this a work of art. It was just a simple small child's doodle. I just remember thinking that this must have been how my friend imagined me looking as a 100-year-old. That night, I showed the picture to my mom. She told me that it just looked like someone had tried to draw some grass. I told her to look at how my friend had drawn me as an old man, but she told me there was nothing there and it was just green lines. I insisted and even pointed right at the man in the bottom right corner, but she insisted that there was nothing there. When my dad got home that night, I showed him the picture the minute he walked in the door. Just like my mom, he insisted that there was nothing in the bottom right corner of the drawing, even though I was looking straight at it. Completely confused, I put the drawing into my plastic drawers with all my various other art projects and things that a kindergartner would have. Fast forward a couple of years. I had never forgotten that picture and the weird way that my parents had denied seeing the drawing of the old man. The thought came up to me again sometime around the fifth grade, and I remembered having stashed that drawing in the drawer all those years ago. I wondered if it would still be there. On a whim, I went digging through some of my old things to see if I could find it. Sure enough, I found it amongst the rest of my projects from that year. The squiggly grass lines were there exactly as I'd remembered them looking. But there was no man in the bottom right corner. It's not like there was even a smudge or anything that a little kid might have imagined looking like a man. It was just plain white. Just like my parents, when I first showed them the drawing, I could suddenly very clearly see that there was absolutely no drawing of an old man with a gray beard and a stovepipe hat in the bottom right corner of the paper. I've never been able to explain that one to this day. All the best, Ryan. I didn't think I had any scary stories to tell, 
until I was recently watching a video on shadow people and remembered an experience from my childhood. As a kid, I used to get night terrors and had these recurring false awakenings where I would get up in the middle of the night and head downstairs to get a drink of water, only to find that my path was blocked by some sort of monster. I would always wake up right after I saw the monster, but it left me with a lingering feeling of dread. Sometimes the monster would be a vampire or a skeleton, but other times, I would see this stretched-out, worm-like creature with four stubby legs ending in human hands instead of feet, wrapped in a gray cloak and faceless like a ringwraith. That image might be enough horror material all by itself, but this is just all background to give you a feel for the troubled relationship I had with sleep at the time. One night, I woke up to find that there were four or five black silhouetted figures standing over my bed, intently watching me. They were all wearing some sort of wide-brimmed hats like fedoras or pork pies, think Walter White. I was able to get a look at them from multiple angles as they swayed and turned their heads, leaning toward each other as if to whisper in each other's ear though they made absolutely no sound the whole time. I saw at least one or two of them looking down and interacting with something in front of them, like maybe turning the pages of a book or shuffling through tools, but I couldn't tell what exactly they were doing. The whole time, I laid there petrified in fear, trying to hold as still as possible, thinking that if I didn't move, they'd think I was asleep and I'd be safe. For some reason, I felt sure that if they realized I was awake, they would do something horrible to me, but that I'd be safe as long as they thought I was asleep. Eventually, I closed my eyes until somehow I miraculously managed to go back to sleep and woke up the next morning relieved that they were gone. At the time, I was convinced that I had been fully awake when it happened, but predictably, as I got older, I eventually wrote it off as a dream, just another one of my false awakenings. But that didn't sit quite right with me, because I remembered getting more and more tired as I lay there with my eyes closed, and then slowly waking up and realizing I dropped off to sleep. In all the other dreams I've ever clearly remembered, I'd woken up suddenly, like someone had flipped a switch. The dreams I awoke from slowly, always rapidly faded from my memory, until only their general feeling and maybe a few vague flashes remained. Yet that next morning, I woke up gradually, and could vividly recall what I'd seen. When I eventually learned about sleep paralysis, I chalked it up to a sleep paralysis hallucination, though I have no way of knowing whether or not I was paralyzed, because I never tried to move. But then I learned about the shadow people, and how some believe those silhouettes we've all seen out of the corner of our eyes, only for them to vanish when we look directly at them, are not just a trick of the eye, but rather, they're some sort of numinous beings that live just beyond our gaze. Imagine the chills that ran down my spine when I learned that many of the people who reported their experiences with the shadow people 
specified that the silhouettes they saw looked like they were wearing wide-brimmed hats. I recently got into these real paranormal and creepy stories on YouTube and wondered what story of my own I might be able to share. The paranormal has been part of my life since I can remember, so you'd think I'd have tons of stories to share. The thing is, most of my experiences have been pleasant, or at least neutral, except for one. My family is sensitive to the paranormal, particularly the women of the family. We each have variations in our gift or abilities and the strength of them, but we're all sensitive to one extent or another. Perhaps that's why the paranormal has always been part of my life. Maybe spirits and such are simply drawn to us because of our sensitivity, and even because there are so many of us under one roof. I find this more plausible than my house being haunted because I don't believe it is. We just seem to have things passed through. Sometimes we go several months with nothing out of the ordinary happening, and other times we seem to see something daily for a week. I have never been truly fearful of the paranormal, perhaps because it's so normal for me. I still get the creeps and my heart may pound a bit, but I've never felt in danger, except this one time. I was about 20 and living at home when I began to have terrible dreams. Now, as much as I am a believer in the paranormal, I am also a skeptic. I believe most experiences can be explained with a little reason in science, and I try to debunk anything before really accepting it's paranormal. As I write this now, I currently have a degree in psychology and a scientific background, so I can usually find an explanation. I've had nightmares before, but in the end... They were just dreams. But these dreams were different. The first dream started like any other ordinary dream. I dreamed I was at home in my room and left for some reason down the hall. The hall was dark, which is not unusual, and I walked down the hall without further thought. From the other end of the hall, my Dalmatian came bounding to greet me, her tail wagging back and forth like a whip. I grinned happily and leaned over to pet her. As I did, I remembered that my dog was dead. I felt that something was wrong. My hand slowed on her head, and I began to pull away. As I did, the dog's demeanor changed, and it leaped up at me. The dog transformed into a black mass, like smoke, but too dense to see through. The mass was human-sized, but simply a blob in shape, a little taller than me. The black mass knocked me over to the ground and leaned over me in a menacing fashion. Afraid, I couldn't move and simply waited to see what would happen. The entity leaned in close, covering me, and spoke in a low voice. Get out. I felt pressure on my body, holding me down to the ground as it repeated, out. Then I abruptly woke up. I sat up in bed, breathing deeply, and I would have written the whole thing off as a cliché nightmare, if not for one thing. My right ear, the one that the entity had spoken into, 
was physically reacting as if someone had just whispered in my ear. The little hair standing on end, the prickle left behind from another's breath. A physical reaction to something that had supposedly taken place in my mind. This wasn't sleepwalking or talking, this was a reaction to a stimulus. This left me a little shaken, but I wrote it off mostly. I got up to calm my nerves and went back to bed. I didn't think too much of it. As I said, it could so easily be written off as an ordinary creepy nightmare. And the message was so cliché, exactly what one expects from a horror movie. A couple of nights later, I find myself asleep and dreaming again. In this dream, I was hanging out with my childhood best friend in a finished but little-used attic room. There was only one door to the room, and it was closed. We spent some time together when my attention was then drawn to the door. The handle was jiggling, like something was trying to open the door. I stood from my seat and went to investigate. My friend was forgotten at this point in the dreamscape. As I approached the door, I could see something dark moving under the door. The handle continued to jiggle. In the way of dreams, I found that I knew what was on the other side. It was that same black mass. It was trying to get in. Something told me it would be a terrible idea for the entity to get inside. And with no other idea of how to defend myself, I grabbed a hold of the doorknob to try to keep it from turning. The doorknob was antique, and I kept a tight hold of it as something on the other side continued to try to open the locked door. After a minute of this battle of wills, the movement stopped, but I didn't let go of the handle. I waited and watched to see what would happen next. I looked down at the doorknob in my hand and realized it was one of the kinds with the keyhole above the doorknob, the sort that you could see straight through if you tried. It was then that the black mass began to seep through the keyhole and down onto my hand. I panicked, but once more found myself unable to move, perhaps because I was still so afraid to let go of the door. The mass poured through slowly and crept up my arm, covering me in darkness. At this point, I began to fear that this thing didn't just want to get into the room, but it wanted me. I feared it wanted to possess me. As the darkness crept further and further up my arm, I began to pray. While I've not always been the most religious person, I was raised in a religious family of a Christian denomination. My mother had taught me when I was a child to call on the white light of Christ if I ever didn't feel safe. This was a technique that had been taught to her by her mother, who was not overly religious herself. So I prayed. I prayed that the Lord would surround me in his white light of protection and keep me safe, that the darkness would not take hold of me. The black mass slowed and then stopped, but I kept praying until I suddenly woke up mid-prayer. One minute I was praying in my dream, asleep. The next I was awake and continued the prayer without any pause. It was simply as though my eyes were closed one minute and open the next, but the prayer never stopped or paused at all. 
This also felt unusual. I went to the kitchen and downed an entire glass of water, tired and with a dry throat from the experience. I wasn't sure what to make of it. Were these just dreams or not? It was weird for me to have the same entity in two separate dreams, and to have two physical experiences related to them sort of spill over. I wasn't sure what to make of it, but I was growing concerned. I have always sort of believed that while we're asleep, we're more open and vulnerable to the paranormal. I think because not only are we defenseless, but because we are in a state not unlike death in many ways, and this leaves the veil between worlds or planes thinner and more easily crossed. If this were the case, and I was really being visited by the same evil entity in my dreams, how on earth was I to protect myself? I was a little nervous going to bed the next night, and it took a long time for me to fall asleep. Just as I was starting to nod off, I found my mind overwhelmed with a series of images. They flashed through my mind like a slideshow, each one lingering just long enough to see what it was before another picture took its place. What I saw were the faces of what I can only describe as demons. Monstrous, distorted humanoid faces, full of wrath and emanating evil. Some had sharp teeth that dripped blood. Others were spitting in anger, snarling. These were not images of my own making. I am a creative person, but I could never come up with so many variations quickly like that. These were just so realistic. This probably went on a few minutes, and I couldn't seem to shake the images from my mind or think of anything else. It was very disturbing, and I found myself shaken once more when the onslaught finally ceased. It was a few hours before I found a very fitful sleep without much rest. At this point, I was afraid to sleep. I stayed up late into the night, only sleeping lightly a few hours before getting up early the next day. This had been going on for a couple of weeks, and I was starting to feel the lack of sleep. I worried that something worse would happen, and I was so vulnerable when I was asleep. If something wanted to attack me in my sleep, there was little I could do. I had been lucky so far, but how long would that last? I was convinced that there was more to what was happening, and that there was some negative entity tormenting me. Two or three times a week, the black mass would appear in my dreams. Sometimes it seemed to only linger in the background. Other times it would approach me and try to cause me harm or attach itself to me. The only relief I had was during the day when I was awake. This went on until one evening. I was across the house from my bedroom and our living room. In front of the living room is the hall and at the end of the hall is my bedroom. I was sitting on the couch facing the hall talking to my best friend. She was open to the paranormal and had a couple of experiences of her own, so I felt comfortable sharing what was happening with her. We were discussing the problem and what I should do to solve it. We agreed that some sort of cleansing might be my best bet, but neither of us knew anything about that sort of thing. As we brainstormed, I looked up, down the hallway, and there, at the end of the hallway, 
was a large, black mass. The same black mass I had seen in my dreams. My voice was shaking as I told my best friend what I was seeing. Of course, after I brought it up, it disappeared, simply dissolving into the air in the space of about two seconds. My best friend helped calm me down, and a while later, after some words of encouragement, we hung up. I've heard of a variety of types of cleansings, but without having any real experience, I wasn't sure where to start. All I knew was that I had to do something. This negative entity was real, and I was only going to find myself becoming more vulnerable to it the less I slept. Though to be honest, I didn't feel safe awake or asleep. It seemed to only linger around my room, not sure why. I also suspected it fed off my fear. I spent that night on the couch in the family room, planning and getting a little sleep, entity-free. I created my own cleansing ceremony, which, to be honest, could be playing with fire for some people in some situations. I combined a few different beliefs and styles that aligned with my own values and beliefs. I used sage and salt in every corner of my room. I lit candles in a triangle around my bed and sat in the center. I meditated and cast a circle. I then read some scriptures and prayed. After that, I simply said a few words that felt appropriate, trying to establish a safe place, where I was protected and revoking any negative energy from entering my space. When I felt that I had found a phrase of my power, I repeated it three times, mentally projecting my intent. When all was said and done, I extinguished the candles and cleaned up. I was nervous that night when I went to bed, but I tried to put faith into the boundaries I had established. I slept peacefully that night, and the next, and the next. I never saw the negative entity again. I think I got lucky that what I did worked, and it wasn't anything worse. I also believe that what you give power to will work. I put as much as my own belief and energy into cleansing my room and creating the boundary lines, and it worked. I can't say it would work for everyone, but it did for me. Perhaps that was also a gift from my innate sensitivity. I'm just grateful that it worked, and I hope my luck and power hold, and my paranormal experiences continue to be positive. But there is no denying that there are darker things out there.